Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by DeezFi. You can follow him on Twitter, at D-E-E-Z-E-F-I. You guys are probably pretty familiar with him if you are listening to the show, he is uh, one of the one of the OGs, one of the biggest thought leaders in the NFT space. He works with former sh- guest of the show Andy at Fractional. Is uh, you know definitely a, a huge thought leader in the space. You can find his um, you can find his Twitter Spaces almost daily. And uh, yeah, we just have a good conversation about the NFT space, the crypto space in general. Uh, I thought he had a lot of very interesting and articulate things to say. And now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone. Very excited to be joined uh, by by a pillar of the NFT community, uh, a frequent spaces host, uh, Mr. Mr. DeezFi. We are here. Uh, I, I DM'd you. I said, hey, man, are you, are you interested coming on the show? And I, I have to say, uh, it really is 50-50 DMing people in, in crypto who are, you know, who have followings. Like some people will just straight up big time me and, and not even respond. Um, some people will, uh, some people will be like, you know, I, I don't have the time, but I, I very much appreciate you coming on. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, I probably knew about you before you knew about me, just from my uh, foray into DFS back in, I don't even remember, like 2013. I played like really low stakes to basically pay for weed in college uh, from like 2013 to 2017. And then uh, around 2017, I realized like, I fucking suck. I'm actually going to like start losing money, especially on NBA cash games. And I just punted my entire bankroll into crypto. And then uh, made a lot of money, and then I lost all of it in 2018 and started over from scratch. So it's been a, a wild ride. But uh, yeah, I've known about you, I think, since at least like 2017. Uh, and you probably had no idea who the fuck I was until 2021. So good to be here. Uh, glad to just stop by and talk. And thanks for reaching out to me and having me. That's uh, that's so interesting. That because uh, it's like it's like uh, the way the way that it uh, the way that it works is most of the time I'm like huge fans of of people who come on and they have no clue who I am like I have like you know these these Bitcoin people on and stuff and they're like who's who's this guy with the with the cat avatar which is actually funny uh, that we're that we're here talking about NFTs because I I started out as like a big uh, you know Bitcoin guy right and now now the Bitcoin people are the people who won't DM me back. They see they see the NFT PFP and they're like, dude, I'm not coming on. I'm not coming on your show, which is it's a little bit of a bummer because I love Bitcoin as much as I always have. But uh, but those people, they they really they really don't like the NFTs. It's it's very interesting to me. It's crazy how tribal the ecosystem can be just between like different factions of crypto native people. And I think we see it the most with the Bitcoiners. Um, and their maximalism just toward Bitcoin and refusal to use Ethereum or Solana or Flow or whatever. Uh, but then we also have an NFT community too, where like there's like NFT maxis who like think of only Ethereum or they think of only certain projects. And it's like such a inclusive group, but also so tribal. And it's a weird dichotomy that we have to deal with. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to think like what, <laughs> what people like, comment about nft pfps I, i've honestly like I, I don't dm a lot of people i'm uh one of the people who just let dms come to me but i'm curious like what's your experience with people calling out like people will literally say like nah dude you have an nft like i'm not talking to you like because you have an nft if you really like ran into that because i'm surprised not not that but i have had you know i've reached out to like people who are you know, they, they do, they do the Bitcoin thing. That's their thing. You know, they have the laser like eyes pomp. and yeah, like it, but pomp, honestly, I feel like actually is even kind of more open-minded. Like he, uh, I, I don't pay for pomp stuff, but I get the, the free newsletter that he does. And he sent an email out the other day saying I was wrong about NFTs. People are going to buy these and grand. I mean, he did this in like August. So a, a little bit late, but still, but like, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to dox anyone here, but I, no, I did, no. I did, I did DM a, a relatively big Bitcoin guy three weeks ago to ask if he would do the show. 
and he straight up just did not respond. Whereas like I, but like, um, you know, to, to some of these people's credits, uh, Alex Gladstein came on the show and he's, he's a huge Bitcoin guy and he does not like Ethereum and does not like NFTs, but, but he came on the show. Um, and, and I, I thought he was great. Like I, 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 I appreciate the, the, I guess the thing is, is I appreciate the perspective of Bitcoin maximalists if they have the, if they have the position that yes, you can make financial gains on NFTs and Ethereum, but I think that most people shouldn't do it, which I guess is kind of a position I agree with. Cause I guarantee there are people who are overextended on, on NFTs and they should be um, taking some capital gains and taking some USD gains. And, but the, the main mistake I see Bitcoin maximalist people make is they try to make Ethereum something, which it is not, which is like sound money. And that's not ever been the idea of what it was supposed to be. Yeah. It's that whole store of value versus like usable, uh, gas almost, <laughs> right. uh, you know, two different use cases, but I haven't, I've been lucky, I guess. Like I haven't been in too many Bitcoin maxi circles. Um, you you don't you don't want to be these these people. I mean, I I get I get annoyed by maxis of any variety, but the the Bitcoin maximalists are pretty toxic. <laughs> yeah, I um, I just I'm imagining this scenario where someone flames me. They're like, "You have a NFT? Like, go fuck yourself!" Like, so I have like my crypto punk up, and they're like, "Nah, I'm not talking to you because you have a punk." I yeah. just uh, I probably you know, fire back and say like, okay, HFST or something. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's the thing like uh, that. Cause so, so I, to, to provide some color, like I, I definitely came to NFTs late uh, or at least, at least to, um, you know, actively trading them. I I actually disgusted myself the other day. I created my OpenSea account in October of 2020. So like, I missed oh, out. Wow. I, I missed out on generational wealth. I have I've missed out on 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 a lot of wealth, which is which is okay. You know, we we all win and we all we all um you know we all lose some. But I I did uh, top shot for a while, and my everyone everyone has their story. But my story is my buddy wanted to split uh, a punk with me when they were about eight thousand dollars USD value. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, nah, like I, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm doing this top shot thing. And so we all have our story. That one, that one is mine. So how, how did you come to NFTs? What, what is your, what is your, uh, your Genesis story? Yeah. So I joined, uh, my OpenSea account was made in September of 2020. So one month before you, um, I had basically been involved in crypto, as I mentioned, since 2017, where I punted my DFS role all in the crypto. Um, and then from like 2018 to 2020, it was more like me rebuilding uh, my mental models on investing in general and like dollar cost averaging in and, you know, being a sure. little bit more responsible. Um, 2020 happened and I was working a job. Basically, I was like a mid-level IT employee for a 250 person state agency. And I had a lot of free time um, during the pandemic while I was working from home. And around the summer of last year, I started getting like really into DeFi and Uniswap and going into like, so so before the pandemic, I was never a self-custody maxi or like I never really messed around with MetaMask and the Ethereum chain. I had just kept a lot of my stuff between like Binance and FTX and Coinbase and it was just holding it there. And it wasn't until DeFi where it kind of forced me to, you know, adopt MetaMask and be my own bank right. and stuff that I really started um, dabbling in the ecosystem. And I took a couple of Ethereum and put it on Uniswap to mess around with. Basically, I had a few friends who were chasing like new coins on listing. So there's like a Telegram bot called Uniswap New Listings. And we would sure. buy things within like two minutes of it being live on Uniswap. Like, due diligence we had a 10 commandments of aping that we would follow and it would basically just be like put in 0.1 to 0.5 ETH immediately do the research if there's something here put in more but um throughout the summer i just got lucky and built a bankroll with this couple of ETH that turned into um probably about 100 ETH by the end of the summer and that's when i got nfts my friend was telling me i needed to buy a zombie crypto punk and they were 20 ETH or 25 ETH and i told him i'm like I just 
spent like two years learning about risk management. Like I'm not putting more than like 5% of my portfolio into these punks. Uh, so I bought a floor for 3.7 ETH or something. And I, I flipped it for like 1.2 ETH profit within a week. But that was my first ever um, oh, wow. pump. And it kind of got the juices flowing in my mind where I was like, wow, this feels a lot like playing RuneScape and trading high-end items in RuneScape. And I drew this correlation between like these super rare items that people just buy to flex with. They have like no utility in the game other than like, oh, wow, that dude has a lot of money when he's wearing that item. And they're called party hats. So I started looking at punks, like they're the party hats of crypto. And I came up with this thesis basically that like if crypto succeeds and there's a lot of native crypto wealth, then they're going to want to buy like native crypto goods to flex. Yes. And yeah. there's only 10,000 punks. They came out in 2017. There's never going to be more. And like at the time, they were the only project that made sense to what would be that Veblen good that everyone wanted to buy. So it still took me like three months of putzing around and like getting my grasp of the punks ecosystem, all the whales, all the traits, like what I wanted as a collector. And then by like January, 2021, I was like basically a hundred percent in NFTs. And I didn't, like I sold all my Bitcoin. I dumped all my sushi for Ethereum to buy NFTs. Like uh, one of the things you were going to ask me is like, what is the biggest risk or gamble I made in the NFT space? And yeah. it was like the start of January, 2021, where I just sold basically all my liquid stuff and then started thinking about how to allocate it in NFTs. And what I ended up doing, I believe, is like I put 10 Ethereum into minting squiggles and early art blocks. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the good stuff. I, yeah, and I probably put like 50 or 60 Ethereum in the punks at the time. Um, and then I kind of kept some liquidity for opportunities that may come up. And from like January to March, this is this incredible time of like John Bales releases the article about Top Shot that everybody knows about. Like, hey, look, I spent 35 grand, but my friend's on a John Morant moment. Um, and at that time, I started putting money into Top Shot too, because I was like, you know, Bales is like one of the kings of DFS. I don't really give a fuck about Top Shot, but I know that all the degenerates that follow Bales are going to read this right. article and get onboarded. So I need to front run them. So I put like eight Ethereum in the Top Shot stuff at the time. And it, I'm so stupid, but like I bought uh, $800 worth of packs. And like I had the opportunity to buy thousands of dollars worth of packs at the time. They were just mm -hmm. sitting there. They they're were just sitting there. They were crazy. just sitting there. Like they're basically yeah. free. Um, and if you pulled like, even at the time, if you pulled a Lamello or a Tyrese or like any of those rookies, you were printing like a five or 10X off the pack immediately. And for whatever reason, in my mind, it didn't click that I should just shove the full stack in the packs. It was like, now nah, just buy, I think I bought a hundred. I don't remember if it's like eight or nine bucks a piece, but I didn't buy enough is the TLDR. And as Top Shot skyrocketed and I was flipping Top Shots, like I did not take enough profit because of how they have their withdrawal mechanism. So I had this like separate dumped money in Top Shot that went way up and then, you know, is now... 90% off the highs. I don't even know. Right. I don't even check my top shot. Anymore. No, you, you, you actually, you know what you actually should, because it is, it's rebounding pretty good. I'll like, like I, not, I, I know not... I dumped like a Steven Adams hollow for like 2k. Cause I was just, I, I had it sitting there for months and then it sold over the summer when I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, I, I did, I did the, the whole thing with top shot minus, um, generational wealth created via, uh, crypto punks and, and squiggles, but they actually are, they actually are coming back. Um, they actually are coming back a little bit. So a lot of, uh, like this is, this is definitely not, uh, just a crypto podcast, just an NFT podcast. And so, you know, one of the things I always have these people who are, you know, a Andy's been on the show, um, you know, Bale's been on the show, CSU been on the show. I, I always like to have them from a high level. Like what, what is your brain when, when you, when you meet a normie, you know, I don't know if you have a girlfriend, in-laws, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm and they're like, married. oh, there you go. So, <laughs> so what, what do you do? What have you been up to? What's, what's your job? Like, you know, everyone kind of always has their own way. What is, what is the, the D's by way to explain, you know, fractional, NFTs, the ecosystem, like what is your, what is your uh, synopsis? 
that's like the very high level what I I just had a dinner with a cousin that I hadn't talked to in like five years right so it's like perfect perfect literally perfect yes and they're like so what are you doing these days and I had said like well I just quit my old job at you know so and so and now I trade digital art and I work for a platform that helps fractionalize digital art so that anyone can collect any piece of art and then I kind of go into like a scenario where like what if you could own 0.1% of the Mona Lisa, display it in your house and have like upside in the buying process? Like some uh, Elon Musk decides he's taking Mona Lisa private at 4 billion and that you have like that 0.1% ownership, which would then pay out on the sell of the Mona Lisa. Like how cool is that? And that's kind of like what I use as a way to describe like fractional or like fractionally owning or collecting art is like you're able to collect things you can't afford but you're also able to get upside in the sense that they're able to be reconstituted and bought out by an individual collector uh but on the low i just try to say like yeah like a digital art dealer trader broker thing like i don't try to get too much in the weeds like if you say like nft then you're like okay it's a non-fungible token okay it's not a fungible token and you're like all right it's a unique item like everything in life is basically non-fungible um very few things are fungible so it's like you have this unique token that describes ownership of something that is a unique item and like you get in the weeds and people look at you like you're fucking weird and like it doesn't make sense so if you just stay with art i found i have better success and i just kind of try to hammer home like yeah i'm just fucking around with digital art it's going well yeah. So that, that is, um, that, that, that's kind of interesting. So my, <laughs> this is a, so funny. So my girlfriend looked at my Twitter the other day, actually, I just got verified on Twitter and I, and I, and I was showing it to her and she is like, what the fuck is your profile picture? Why is your, you, cause I've had the same, I had the same one for like years and years and years. And she's like, why is some dumb cat your profile picture? And I, In my head, I was like, can I have this conversation? Can I explain like, oh, it's a non-fungible token. And actually I get, I get a reward. Uh, There's like a reward for it being my profile picture in these various ecosystems. And so it, it, it generates some income. And and at the, like, I, I probably paused for like three seconds and I was like, oh, it's just, it's just this picture of this like club. I mean, it's not, it's like no big deal like that. Like there, there, there is so much subtext between I'm in NFTs. This is what an NFT is. Like it, like it, 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 the, the culture of NFTs is, is it's so niche even compared to like crypto subculture, like Mm -hmm. crypto is, is part of the culture. Now everyone knows roughly what Bitcoin is. And like, I bet, I bet if I like called my grandma right now and I was like, do you know what Ethereum is? She'd be like, I've heard of it probably. Right. But like NFTs, it's it's a whole different it's a whole different thing that people are, you know, and they all have their opinions or or are aware of or not aware of or whatever. Is your cat PFP the first uh, crypto like NFT PFP you've used, or did you use one before this? Oh man, so Jonathan Bales, right? Mm-hmm. So he tweets he tweets about the goons. And I've been, I've been interested, uh, I've been NFT curious for a while. So Bales tweets about the goons. I buy one. I make it my PFP. They, they just tank, dude. I mean, like I get, I got wrecked on this token, which is fine. You know, whatever it yeah, happens. It's part of the game. It's part of the game. And then I, so I'm in um, Peter Overzet's discord where they have like a, you know, a very active and healthy uh uh, to NFT community and, and Carlini is in there who was on the show a month ago. And he starts telling me about Penelope's, which, which is on, which is on our agenda. Cause they're, they're my absolute favorite, um, you know, profile picture project that exists. And he sends me one and I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm all in. This is, this is way more interesting to me than goon. So I, I had the goon PFP for like three days, but now I'm, I'm all in on the purse. I love it. I, I don't remember. Um, I, actually, I do kind of remember the goons. They had that weird name. It was like, not, not the goons is like the shortened name. It was like Go- goons yeah. of Balatroon. Yeah, 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 Balatroon. 
I remember uh, one of the DFS guys pitched me on it and like I'm probably a lot more bearish on play to earn than like a lot of these people are. And I think a lot of the people who are bullish on play to earn, like don't actually play the games. Um, they just are bullish on the idea that people are playing games for money. They're not like yes. playing the game and enjoying it. And then being like, Oh, this is awesome. Everyone loves play to earn. Like if you boil down what Axie is, it's like a click farm simulator for Filipino people to break out of working third class jobs. Uh, it, a very like <laughs> probably middle curved Axie. But uh, in my mind, it's just like a lot of the play to earn stuff is unsustainable and it ends up being like bot farms and people just trying to like extract as much value out of it without playing games. Um, so I like stayed away from the, the goons just because I was like, man, there's too much play to earn hype coming out. And I don't really think like people actually like the game um, that they're playing to earn. Uh, they're just doing it for money. Yeah, I mean that. So that is that is on our agenda because it it feels like literally every day I I log on and I I look at projects and I look at the the, the schedule and whatever, and someone has is promising a video game. Someone is raising funds for a video game. Someone is promising play to earn. So I I I and I know that you are into games, and I I am a long time gamer, not not a an MMO. Uh, RPG gamer, but like a sports gamer, right? FIFA. Uh, that was actually one of the things that first made sense to me about NFTs was like, oh, what if I can buy these packs and ultimate team, but I get to keep them forever and use them? Like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So, so very simple question. Will we ever see a good, fun, but, but like actually technologically advanced, like I could play it on my PlayStation or my Xbox, the NFT video game? Or yes. are we even close? I, I don't think we're within like six months to a year close, but I think within the next three to five years, we're, it's, this is kind of my thesis and it could be off base, but I think um, Solana and SBF, Sam, are going to basically like bribe or pay developers to use Solana as um, the log basically for like transactions in a game. And given the money that, FTX and Sam has allocated to TSM FTX in the video game realm with esports and all of the stuff they're doing, trying to put um, basically their stuff in front of degenerate sports gamblers and degenerate gamers. Like there's a natural jump there from just marketing to them to actually building something that they can use with Solana on the back end. I could be completely off base there, but I think the only blockchain that's really ready for games is Solana, given the throughput and transaction the transaction throughput that you have on that chain. Sorry, my cat keeps jumping up on my desk. He really wants to be a part of the, the show here. Hey, we're <laughs> we are we are we are pro animal here at the take cast. So he's, <laughs> he's like jumped up like four times as I'm giving this explanation. But um yeah, I think like overall, I don't trust any of these new uh, projects that come out with games on their roadmaps like i think it's going to be an established game or a game native thing that comes and adopts crypto i don't think it's going to be a crypto native project 100 agree goes 100 agree yeah like it's 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 gonna be like you know whatever the like uh a, a, a star wars game that like copies like you know an, an open world adventure where like all of your uh, all of your skins or whatever are on Polygon or or some Matic or something like that. Yeah, it's going to be something I think on the transaction side of things or like the item side. It's not going to be like I I, I don't know. I'm, maybe it's parallel with their cards, but like I'm not a card gamer. I'm not like into Hearthstone. I wasn't into Magic growing up. I wasn't sure. into thinking <laughs> like about card games i don't know like growing up yeah. for me i spent most of my time playing fps's whether it was halo call of duty um gears i guess it's third person it's on fps but similar very fast-paced action game you're out of the game within 15 20 minutes then i progressed to like league of legends but it's still another semi-fast-paced game and it's like you're actively moving very quickly in the game you're not just like sitting there thinking about the next turn and um Personally, like I just don't get excited about the card games, but their parallel is like by far the best current bet on uh, 
video game on a blockchain, I think. Even though I don't personally like get into card games, I don't personally have a big bag of it. It's still, I think, like the closest thing to a success. It's not even a game yet either. Like it's the closest thing to a successful game is like not even a game that you can play is what I'm saying, which is insane. Uh, it, was, but just, it was loot, right? Loot? Is that what it was called? No, I, I'm thinking of parallel, like the uh, okay. parallel cards. Loot is really interesting. It's like, I feel like I got a little caught up in the loot hype for about a week. And then I dumped all my bags because it was becoming like a third job where every day I'd have to go on Twitter, go in the Discord, and then look at like, what airdrops do I get for having loot? Like, what can I mint? I had two bags of loot. And then something came out called like Adventure Gold. The ticker was A Gold. I found out about it, claimed these free tokens, and I dumped them for 10 Ethereum within like 30 minutes. And I started thinking to myself, like, who is buying all this stuff? Like, they can't just keep giving people tons of free shit and like sustain this hype. So I ended up just selling like all my loot shortly after um, because it was a bunch of like venture capitalists, I feel like pumping it. And people who like, I don't want to say aren't crypto native, but it wasn't like the degenerates on crypto Twitter were the people leading the pumps. It was like a lot of these venture capitalist type people I knew. And it gave me pause. I'm like, okay, if like all of these people are aping and none of the crypto people are aping, like who's going to ape after them? Like how does this sustain itself? And it didn't, right? Like the floor went up to 20 sure. ETH on a loot bag and it went back down to five. And people were selling stuff for 75% loss. Um, yeah. But it's an interesting concept for a game, right? Because you're creating an asset that anyone can build with. So like anybody can say, hey, if you own loot, these are your items in our game. But I feel like it's so early that the infrastructure and community to build that stuff out in a great way is just not there. Um, and like, it isn't going to be there in the next six months or a year, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So you actually just said something there that's not on our agenda, but that I'm very curious about, which is, um, you know, institutional interest and, and, you know, large organizational interest in NFTs. Cause so Visa buys the CryptoPunk, um, and there, there seem to be, you know, some other examples of uh, what was it? Moon, Moonrise Capital bought some of those very ugly Solana the, punks or whatever. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. The Moon, I forget what they call Moonshot or Moonrise. Moon, Moon, Moon something. I don't know. I, I also, I, I tend to be more dismissive of Solana than maybe I should be, and that, that's like probably my, my Bitcoin brain speaking or whatever, because you know, Solana is just like a company and, and very, very centralized, but I mean, so I guess we are, we are kind of at this spot where it feels like the onboarding of new users into the NFT ecosystem has like kind of flatlined. And is there, is there institutional interest in NFTs? Like, honestly, I have no idea the answer to that question. I could be convinced either way. So there's definitely been at least some institutional interest. Um, I won't say the fund or the person, but there's a billionaire who recently has come in and uh, they bought like Keyboard Monkey's Death Beef set. They've bought, um, I think over 4,000 Ethereum worth of high-end art blocks now. They're the ones who paid 2,100 Ethereum for a ringer not too long ago. Um, and there's also a a mixture of like high net worth individuals who aren't institutions, but they're traditional, uh, traditional finance who, right? who are coming in. Um, I don't know, like, is the pace going to stay the same where it's like a few a month? I, I feel like at some point it's going to pick up even more where like kind of just momentum based where like, okay, Visa has a punk. Who's going to be the next one to put a, like, this is something that's new to me and I don't know how true it is, but like apparently somebody like JP Morgan might put fine art on their balance sheet and then like display that art in one of their big offices. Yeah. And like, how does that look for like crypto native art? Because they could have that on their balance sheet, but there's no physical risk of the asset being damaged or destroyed or, uh, you know, everything that comes with being a digital NFT rather than a physical piece of art, like you don't need to safely transport it around. You don't need to make sure that people aren't going to ruin it in a public place. Um, and like, would a traditional company, we already see Visa buying the punk, but like, would somebody like JP Morgan buy a Fidenza to put up in 
their office to show off like, hey, we have money and we're putting it into these things. I don't know. It was something somebody brought up on a Twitter space. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like I didn't, I don't have a lot of experience walking into like corporate headquarters of multi-billion dollar companies. Like I'm some kid from Ohio who's like out the sticks, just vibing. Uh, so it was like one of those things I didn't really think of it too much, but I definitely think institutions are very aware of what's going on and we're starting to see some dabble. I don't know like if the Coinbase NFT solution makes NFTs more accessible to these institutions because it takes away the custody risk they have to go through. Um, maybe they just, you know, custody it with Coinbase, kind of how Coinbase has Coinbase custody and the Coinbase vault stuff set up for institutions. Um, but I, I think over time, it's just going to be more and more like, even if it's a couple billionaires here and there, it's still a lot of capital. Like you watch somebody like Vincent Van Doe come in over the summer and like just him putting in mid eight figures worth of Ethereum into the ecosystem sent everything up like an order of magnitude in price. And that was just kind of like one individual. And I don't think it takes too many entities or individuals to really take price to another level. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. But I, I think it's inevitable that they'll come in. Well, and uh, so I, I uh, my, my buddies, Jay Kang and Aaron Lammer, uh, they, they do a show called coin talk show. And they, they were making this point the other day, very similar to the point you just made. Like, why can't, uh, JP Morgan, you know, they put fine art on the balance sheet, like a Fidenza is fine art now. And I think if you would disagree with that, um, my guess is that historically will, even if you are reputationally short NFTs, like I think the Fidenza and the art blocks curated stuff will, will stand the test of time in the world of fine art. But like, why would uh, the the example that that Kang made was why would uh, Steve Wynn's kid right so the Wynn Wynn Resorts and Hotels right so his kids take over when because he's like eighty so his kids take over isn't their idea of like the best art to put in their lobby like board ape number sixty nine or whatever like though that is the that is the sort of um, that is the sort of money that could enter into the ecosystem that would. Uh, that would, you know, change things at, at the very high level, though I still think it doesn't change things at the level that many people exist in. And this was um, a question I for sure wanted to ask, which is true or false, the NFT space as a whole would be better and healthier if 10,000 mint count profile picture projects stopped like immediately. Like we, we get done with this, with this podcast and we Thanos snap our fingers and we just stop them forever? I think it's false. Um, I think people want to blame KFP pictures for like a unhealthy market of hype. But I think at the end of the day, like it's onboarded so many people like myself uh, with punks at least where like they first get in because of the allure of a quick flip and minting but then they stay for the community and the art that they find after i think if we were to get rid of all 10k pfp projects then like we'd be bringing in less users than we are now by a significant amount and you know personally i don't punt a lot of 10k pfps anymore I was a much more active minter over the summer but like recently it's i'm minting less than one thing a week and being uh, a little safer with my shots, but like, I'm still seeing new communities come up that I've never heard of, like, like Jungle Freaks. I don't know if you're aware of this project, but um, a gentleman who's been a animator illustrator for Hustler Magazine for like yeah. 30 plus years now, hand drew a uh, PFP project and his son is the dev, but like, they kind of came in in September had no idea who they were. They made me an honorary and it's like a kind of gnarly looking thing. And I didn't pay too much attention to it. I looked at it again this week and I'm like, they have 30,000 people in their discord, 40,000 followers. Like they kind of blew up and they're a whole new project. And like, I go in their discord and it's a bunch of very unfamiliar faces. And I like to see that because it's like, here's another 10 K PFP brought in new people. Like I'm so involved with the community I feel like I know a bunch of faces and avatars so when I go into a community and like I don't know anybody it's kind of crazy and I think like just getting rid of 10k PFPs would slow down the overall user growth and be a net negative so yeah I'll go with false 
That's so that is um, that is interesting because I I think that so I don't I don't want to say anything that I'll regret. One the the community of NFT as a whole I think is is real right. So I think that the idea that these people who are you know uh, into Web three crypto native uh, very very interested in Ethereum very interested in DeFi have. Uh, have, you know, profile pictures and stuff. But one of the things I wonder is like, I don't know, how much time do people spend hanging out in discords of their 10K PFPs? Like, are, are, is, that, is that the discord that you're hanging out in? Like, I, I, I wonder if that is true for most people, some people, many people, like that is, which I, I don't have an answer to. Because, you know, like, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. A lot of my interest not all, but a lot of my interest in NFTs is, is like financially related. And I think that's true for most people. So it's kind of hard to be a member of a community that you're planning on, you know, exiting at some point. Right. Yeah, that's tricky. I think for me personally, I'm spending um, most of my time in a few discords rather than like going into every single community. Um, I'm definitely the most active in punks chat and uh, fractional now because I'm the community manager of fractional so I better be active there uh and then on top of that I'm a little bit active in toads like honestly I go into toads just to type vibe and, and vibe, vibe for like right like, like a few minutes a day just to like let me go in here I'm like you know uh uptight I need to you know let loose let me just get some emoji spam out and then I, I leave toads after that but like I'm looking through my discord list and a lot of it is I have a folder that's cool cats, board apes, wick craniums, wizards. And like, I open it up when there's a bunch of announcements and I read through it pretty quickly and then I kind of close it, but I'm not in there every day. Um, and it's simply because like, I don't have a bunch of time to <laughs> right. put into all these different communities. It's like, I have to pick and choose and uh, probably punk chat's been the most beneficial to me just because I found it so early on. And the early people in punk chat really set the foundation for how I thought about NFTs and like how I wanted to act in the space. There's a lot of honest and authentic and genuine people that were early to punks and they kind of just gave off this vibe in the discord of just like, you know, we're not here trying to pump punks. Like a lot of people told me when I got into punks, like, Hey, these are probably going to retrace and like, be careful. It wasn't like they were like, buy this shit it's going to the moon we're on me fucking rich <laughs> right. um, which right. is like a lot of what the new projects are like you go in the chat before mint and it's just like yeah delist bro delist yeah <laughs> like mike tyson memes like delist <laughs> and you got fucking just people typing floor after the drop like i don't know there's something about the punch chat where it was like you know we're not going to worry about the price we're going to worry about like the direction we're steering the ship in long term it got me thinking about the space in a different way so I mean, for me, I don't, I spend time in the discords for like doing due diligence and doing my research on a project. It's like, what's the vibe in there? Like, I want to go in and just see people having discussions about the space, about the project, about things they like. And I don't want to see people like posting links to OpenSea that's like, buy this floor, it's undervalued. And like just spamming price related things, because then it makes me think like, I think Mechaverse is a great example recently where they come out, they're like eight Ethereum for a fucking Mechaverse before they're even revealed. And then now mm -hmm. they're like two and a half Ethereum a couple of days after the reveal because like the hype just died. And that's the type of stuff I avoid. Like if I see something's eight Ethereum before it reveals, I'm not fucking touching it. Like there's no way I'm buying into that at that price point. Um, and like you go in their community, there's like 200,000 people in the Discord it's like, are these even real people? Like how many of these are bots who are like yeah, trying it's to get on super, the whitelist? Super botted. Yeah. And it gives like a fake inauthentic vibe to it, which makes me like not want to be a part of it. Um, but that's like the only time I check out a Discord really that I'm not a part of already. It's like, okay, I'm doing due diligence on this before I ape it. Like what's the vibe in here? Um, and I think like people are so fragmented within Discord. Like I'm sure you're in hundred plus Discords like I am. I actually- Yeah, I, I'm in a bunch, but I check like three. Yeah, right? Like there's like less than five you care about, but you might be at 150. 
And like as yeah. time goes on and we fragment between more and more Discord servers, like what are gonna be the winners? Like what are people gonna congregate to over time? So it's not gonna be like we're just all fractured, fractured amongst all these different discords, but like where is the conversation happening? Uh right now it's like on Twitter and in my mind, like in the punks discord. Um uh, and I, I I stay there because that's where the alpha is like. In the punks discord it's people dropping links to shit all the time like hey i just meant to this what do you think like and then boom you have a hive mind of all these punk owners who look at a project and if a bunch of punk owners ape a project it's probably going to go up at least in the short a lot time, of a so. lot of punk lot of punks in the discord bro i mean i found so much random stuff that i would never found just by sitting in the discord like i have gotten more alpha out of that discord than anything else where it's just like like the toads right Everybody from the Toads team that I knew, it's like 10 people, I've known them from the Punks Discord, whether I like met them back in January or I met them over the spring, like they're all people who are shitposting in Punks Discord and in Punks. And when they're like, hey, we're going to make Toads and, you know, we want to make you an honorary because you're one of the most active people in Punks Discord, you're a good shitposter. I'm like, fuck yeah, like I want involved with this. Like, how can I help? Uh, and that's like the type of stuff I like to ape into where I know everybody involved feels like a community that I'm already familiar with and I don't need to like talk to a founder on a discord or uh, on a Twitter space to gauge like am I buying this or not it's kind of become a new thing where I have enough pull where I can like shoot a DM to a founder of a project and like they want to be on a Twitter space to talk to us about stuff and then it gives me a way to get right to the heart of like okay who is building this and why are they building it and what do they think about the project long term and that's been helpful for like aping cool cats under 0.2 ETH because I talked to Klon on a dis uh, Twitter space or like aping into dead fellas and robotos because we talked to the founders of those projects really early. And it's just like stuff like that where it's uh, easier to ape after talking to the founder because you feel like, hey, there is a long-term vision here. There are good vibes here from the top down. Um, yeah, it was kind of a rambling answer. I don't even remember exactly what the question was at this point my bad <laughs> no because because you know you get you get the you get the people who are who love nfts and are convinced that the jpegs are the future and you know and and they will they will say like bro it's about the community and then you get the people who are uh crypto native but kind of cynically in nfts and it's just about the profit for them and then you get the you know the the non-crypto native people who think it's all a scam and like, you know, two thirds of those people like laugh at the idea of like communities, but like the, the NFT discords that I'm in that I check like that I'm super about that community. Like it's, it's amazing, but I, I do still uh, raise my eyebrow at the like, yes, the punks community. Yes. The board, a yacht club community. Like, like I, I have no doubt that those are like real communities that people, uh, have, have found friendships and, and meaning and connections via that community. But like, you know, when, when there is a new, uh, you know, cute animal PFP project and they, it's, it's all about the community in their, they're tweeting about the community. I'm like, I, I don't buy that. Like that's, that is, uh, you, you just want my 0 0.02 ETH to mint, to mint my. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of these projects, even if you're minting a thousand at 0.02, I mean, that's, um, 200 ETH. You're doing 10,000 at 0.02. Good, good, good money for them. Yeah. It's, uh, the amount people are raising in us dollar terms is obscene. It doesn't and feel e obscene and when ETH we're is paying. only going up. Yeah. And more and more ETH is getting, taken out of the ecosystem from all this various crap, um, whether it's people punning a liquid, like a lot of these profile pictures are going to turn into like a liquid graveyards where you can't even exit. Like you're going to have to burn it. And that's going to be your capital loss for the year because you couldn't even find a counterparty to, to trade even at like a damn near zero price point. Um, I think that's what will happen to like 90% of these projects, but the ones that win like board apes, they win so big that it's like you're a VC just taking super small shots on all this shit. And if a couple of them take off, you're golden. Yeah, no, that is, that is true. And, uh, I've, I've gotten lucky on some, I've minted, uh, a complete rug where, oh, yeah. you know, we've all, we, you have to we've all like, been there. Yeah. You gotta I get rugged. If you're not getting rugged, like 
once a month, like you're probably not taking enough risks in the space. Um, <laughs> it's like a, a way to frame that. Like there's so much asymmetric high upside shit in this space. And like, yeah, some of them are going to be rubs, like, but some of them are going to be a hundred X. So it's yeah. just like, yeah, you got to get rugged a few times in the process. I I've been rugs like more than I can count. It's I've noticed in the NFT space, like the rugs are like a slow rug. Uh, back in the Uniswap days, it was like a instant rug, like instant you'd rug. Buy into something and it would be rugged within like four hours, eight hours, twenty four hours, and you just knew like, hey, I just hit a two x. I'm taking my initial out. I'm gonna watch this momentum, and I'm just gonna dump this shit at the first sign of weakness because we're here to play hot potato. We're not here to invest long-term in this garbage. And then like getting in the NFT space, it's been a lot more like, okay, I got to take like a one to three to six month approach and not just be like, Hey, this thing's going to die in a day. I need to get rid of it. Um, and then my, like a lucky, I'm very lucky, like minting the squiggles and the art block stuff basically set me up so well to like not fuck it like all i had to do is like get stoned and not look at the screen right for nine months and if i did that it was generational wealth through luck uh i sold like half my squiggles when they were half an eth and that gave me my entire cost basis on my art blocks bag at the time back and then i told myself hey i'm just holding the rest and seeing what happens and i didn't think it would ever get to the valuations it got to but part of my plan was just like, hey, I'm taking my initial off the table. So I'm comfy holding the rest and we'll see what happens. Because like Snowfro, the guy who created Art Blocks is an OG punk claimer. He's one of the people who was in the punks discord guiding me on my NFT journey when I was new. And I'm like, I love Snowfro. Snowfro told me to jump off a bridge. Like I'm asking like how high and I'm jumping. So I knew I always had to hold like a good amount of these Art Blocks because whatever he's working on, I think is going to be a long-term win. But it's hard to adjust coming from the Uniswap days where you're just like, I need to mint this or buy this and dump it as fast as I can to as lock in the profit yeah. I can get. And now it's you know a bit different. A lot of NFTs, they might only have like that one hype cycle where they come out and they go up to five or 10 ETH. And then like two weeks later, they're at one ETH or less and they might not ever get back to five or 10. So it's like important too to kind of have both positions in your mind when you're taking profit, like, Hey, there is a good chance that this might be the only pump, but I want to keep a few in the off chance that this is a real community that's going to last over time. Yeah. You, that, that's uh this, the strategy is like to mint four of things, sell three of them to get your cost basis back. And then, and then hold one. If the moon bag ever comes, you have that's to like, own at least the, three of anything in the NFT yeah. states. Like I hundred percent agree. Like four is even better. Like at least three you need one that you can sell for like a two or three x that maybe covers the entire cost basis of the other two and then you need one more that you can sell at that next level to feel like hey i took profit and then you need that one that's like the moon bag in case hey this shit pulled up board apes and now the floor is 50 ETH, and i feel okay selling this because the floor was two ETH when i bought this one month ago right um all right, so the, the this we got it. We got to talk about this. This is like the the biggest thing that people are are doing in NFTs right now. Every token that comes out now, uh, or or every <laughs> NFT that comes out now has a token, right? Has a DeFi token. We got and it, and it was from the stack Toads, and we got. I just minted some dumb shit. Yet to- Tokyo Tens has a, a Tokyo token. I mean. So I, I guess the one thing is I am I am extremely, extremely, extremely bearish that 99% of these tokens have any value, I mean, a week from now, two weeks from now. But one, in general, do you think passive wealth generating NFTs are, are even a good idea? Because it's obvious why the devs like it, right? You, you, you incentivize people to not sell it or to only sell it for a higher prices, which gives you more royalties and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like where the, the idea comes from. So I wrote down like two notes. Uh, I'm probably bearish on like passive wealth tokens. Like uh, let's just use banana as the example, because that's what comes to everybody's mind. You right. own a cyber Kong and 
the price of banana has fluctuated so much, but you know, owning a cybercom, you've been making between a hundred to eight hundred dollars a day, I believe, off banana. You get like 10 banana a day. And I've seen banana up over 50 bucks. Like, I don't know what it's at right now. I should go look before I keep talking out of my ass. But it's to me only going to keep going up as long as people are interested in the cyber Kongs ecosystem. It's only if there's a demand for the baby Kongs and there's a demand for the VX Kongs that people are going to have a demand for banana. And once the new people coming into that specific ecosystem don't demand banana, then it's kind of in my mind, like a downward spiral effect where people are dumping banana, people see the banana price is going down, no one has an incentive to buy it. So they maybe keep dumping it. And I think banana has been the most successful yield generating passive coin. Uh, that has been a part of any project. And it's been kind of the leading example for these other projects to look at and be like, oh shit, we need a token because look at them. They're making hundreds of dollars a day just from owning a Kong. How do we make our community hundreds of dollars a day from just owning anything? And a lot of times like these coins, the thought behind them isn't super thought out. So like, what is the use of the coin? Um, right what is going to create demand over time for this coin so that the demand outpaces the supply from all the people getting free yield for owning NFTs? And like, how is that coin going to be used in that ecosystem going forward? I think like Bored Apes, for example, they didn't seem like they ever wanted to do a coin, but they've been kind of pressured into now coming out with a thing that says, hey, in quarter one of 2022, expect a Bored Ape coin because we see the trend with everybody else doing a coin and we kind of, to me, it read like, Hey, we didn't want to do this, but we see everyone else doing it. So we're going to figure out how to do it. Right. Um, and that's like not the best way to go about it. Like there needs to be like a native use in the ecosystem for people to demand the token. Um, but on the flip side, I wrote down that I'm bullish on like punks and grail NFTs being collateral to print synthetic dollars to yield farm with. Like if I break that down, it might look something like this. I have a punk that's worth hundred ETH at the four. Mm -hmm. I can put that punk up as collateral. Um, there's a new project coming out that I'm a, a angel investor in called JPEG. It's half meme, half serious, but the TLDR is like, you can lock up a punk, get 20 to 30% of that punk's value in synthetic dollars and then use those synthetic dollars to like yield. like usdc yeah so basically like do you are you familiar with alchemix at all no uh -uh. okay alchemix lets you take die which is the decentralized stable coin lock it up in alchemix and then print 50 percent of the die that you put in as a new synthetic dollar called al usd or alchemix usd so the way the punk will work is you take the punk, you put it in, and you take 20 or 30% out in, we'll call it punk USD, or literally in this case, it's called PUSD, like PUSD. You right. could take that PUSD, put it into a curve pool with a bunch of the other stables like USDC, DAI, USDT, take the curve liquidity providing token, but lock that up in convex, which is another yield farming basically apparatus built on top of curve and then get between 15 and 25 percent apy on those dollars and your risk is that the punk floor drops so much that your punk would get liquidated into the jpeg dow um, and then you could buy it back for a small premium or after a certain amount of time it's then liquidated on the open market but it's a long way of saying it's a way to make a passive or uh, static NFT now like a yield generating asset. So instead of just holding eight punks, I could take a few of the lower tier ones I think are around four value, print dollars, and then get a, a decent yield off of them. And how long does that yield last for? I mean, it lasts for as long as there's a demand for the curve tokens, the convex tokens, and whatever reward you're going to get from farming it. Um, if there isn't a demand for those rewards, then over time, the yields go down and down and down until they get close to zero. But I yeah. think there's more exciting things happening in the NFT as collateral for synthetic dollars or loans than there is like 
buying an NFT that generates a native token to that NFT's ecosystem? Well, just from like a game theory perspective, reasons to hold on to an NFT as opposed to immediately flip them are cool to me, right? So whether those incentives come from a marketplace or, or like, you know, whether, uh, you know, whether there, there are ways to stake them, right? Or what you're talking about, you know, collateralize them, whether that comes from, you know, airdrops, like lots of, lots of these tokens are, you know, promise airdrops, like, oh, if you have a crypto dad, you get a crypto mom. If you, you know, if you have a stack toad, you get an, uh, you know, an unstack toad or, or whatever. And, you know, I, I think there are like two ways you could view that. Like one, you can view that as like scammy or like, but I don't know if we, I, I, one thing that I love about NFTs is that it acknowledges that financial markets are just a game anyways. And there's not anything that differentiates being like, I'm a very serious stock chart trader who understands like who reads uh, the Bloomberg terminal. There's no difference between that and buying and selling pictures of toads. Like it, it's the same game. You just pretend that it's like people just pretend that it's different. Yeah. I feel like to like NFTs and crypto in general, you're trading human emotion more than you're trading. Like, uh, what do you want to say? Like, I was trying to like think of whatever the fuck it's called in stock world where like you're looking at numbers, you're looking at cash flows, you're looking at price earnings ratio, like in NFTs, you're just trading like the human emotion, like you're trading vibes. You're like, oh yeah, I like the vibe of this. Like I'm able right. like, you're getting rid of all that middle of the curve shit that people use to invest. And it's just boiling it down to like FOMO and FUD in the two spectrums that like we kind of oscillate between in the space where it's like oh this is depressing day everything's down oh holy shit everything's up it's mania like we kind of ping pong between those two way faster like we have these very fast market cycles from like a boom bust perspective compared to the traditional markets that take years to boom bust we'll have like multiple boom busts in a single year but then you zoom out it's like okay things are still going up all the time but it's uh it's interesting to see like how fast those cycles happen when there isn't a lot of regulation and it's a lot of human psychology. Yeah. Well, uh I mean you're you're right. It is it is psychology and I guess you know the fascinating thing is like you you can see a market cycle uh happen in like 15 minutes, right? It can go from like, oh, we discovered an error in the contract. We got to sell right now because when everyone else discovers it it's going to zero oh, wait, we were wrong. The contract is fine. We got to buy back before everyone else. Re like it's, it is, uh, it is amazing. And there's it a is, circuit breaker. You can't be like, oh, turn it off. It's down 5% or 10% or whatever the fuck it is. It's like, nope, it's going down. And then yeah, FUD gets dispelled and it goes right back up because, oh, we were wrong. It's, yeah. uh, and it's one of the things about having a 24, seven, 365 market too. Like you never go to bed and wake up and look and be like, oh, S&P went down 10% while I was sleeping. But like, there's been multiple times where I wake up at 8 a.m. Eastern and, and like fucking Ethereum's down 30%. And you're like, all right, let's start the day. Like, how's today going to go? And it's just right. part of being in the space. Like, I, I love it yeah. though. Like the volatility, I think like us degenerates thrive on it. Um, we don't want like stable stuff. Like the more volatility there is, the more opportunities are to make and lose money. Yeah, I mean, if it was if it was stable every day, but there there's no point, right? There, no. it's, there's truly there's truly no point. Um, last thing I have, uh, I every everyone who is crypto native who comes on the show, I tell them about my favorite NFT project, which is Penelope's Country Club. You know, uh, all the tokens are backed by a vault that uh, has this ginormous ETH value. So like, and and your token can be turned in at any time and and burned for the equivalent value. So right now it would be like probably over, uh, uh, probably over the floor of what they cost. It'd probably be about half an ETH given uh, all the value that's in, that's in the vault. And you can go see what's in the, the vault if you go to the website. Um, and I think, I think you already got one. So that's, that's amazing. But I, I always, you know, always ask, you know, what's your, what's your favorite off the map token? If you want to, if you want to pump any bags, if you want to shill anything, people, some, some people like to do it. Uh, some people don't, but, uh, the, the floor is yours, bud. Yeah. Um, it's always hard for me to, to shill my bags. So I'll just, you know, put a disclaimer here that 
I do own what I'm talking about. Um, I think the first project that comes to mind is probably the Forgotten Runes Wizards. Um, they're a group of people. So I've known the founder of the Forgotten Runes since 2017. He's one of the first people I followed when I got into crypto Twitter. Um, smart dev, like introverted, super smart dude who is just like shitposting on Twitter. Um, they came to me and told me about the Wizards and I was like, yeah, I want to get involved. This was probably back in like June. Uh, and they haven't had a real pipe cycle yet. Like I think the floor, the highest they've ever been is like 0. 0.6. Um, and they've kind of oscillated between like 0. 0.2 and 0. 0.6 for months. But the team and community behind it, they just keep vibing and like doing their thing and delivering things. Um, and I've always looked at them like kind of like, hey, how are they not like one or two or three ETH yet? Um, what's going on and I feel like they just don't get a lot of uh advertising or they don't get a lot of crypto twitter influence like I'm not one of the people on crypto twitter who wants to tweet about my bags every day there's a, a bunch of people who have like 25 plus thousand followers who like just exist to pump their own bags and I think I've built my brand on not being that guy um like I'll, I'll talk my book just like anyone else but I'm not on there every day like you guys gotta check out this, this, and this, which I own 20 of each. Um, it's just kind of not my vibe. So I think like, you know, maybe from the marketing end, they could have done a better job. Another project that I've been shocked that hasn't moved at all is Avastars. Um, they're just like, it's, I was the best way to sum up Avastars. Some of the crypto OGs, uh, Jimmy and Nate Alex specifically, created this project. It's like all on chain. It was kind of... Uh, released at a time where the market was quiet but they've done five generations now where there's like twenty-five thousand of these damn things and you can finally uh, there's no way to mint more but you're able to breed them once and you'll be able to like take specific traits and only use like that trait on the breed but it's one of these things where like a bunch of the big owners are whales who like have no reason to sell it's like you know as much as i may disagree with pranksy like He's a smart trader. He owns a bunch of these avatars. Jimmy owns a bunch of these avatars. Whale Shark owns a bunch of these avatars. It's like a uh, holder base is diving hands, but they don't bring in like new people. And I don't feel like it's had any hype at all, but it's one of like the most solid on-chain longer standing projects in the space. Um, you're able to mint these, I believe, like back in 2020, they started. So like they've been around for a minute. It's not like they came out in the hype and blew up. Um, other than that, I've been really just spending more time on like one-on-one art and artists rather than like chasing profile pictures. Uh, I think there's a lot of good connections and potential upside in the one-on-one space where like it's similar to betting on profile pictures, but even more asymmetric where you can get like a 1000x, but a lot of it's going to go to zero. My, my best right. ever piece of art I bought a twin flame from Justin Aversano for like one and a half ETH. And now the floor on that project is 200 ETH. Uh, I sold good. mine at 120, but it is what it is. But it was like the first piece of art that taught me like you can have art in a collection that appreciates similarly to like an art block drop. Um, Pretty so good. I've been looking out more for like, what are some cool collections where like you can get in under two ETH and there's like, 50 to a couple hundred of them. And what does the price look like on that over time if they build community and get adopted versus like a 10,000 PFP? Uh, 10,000 PFPs kind of build faster or bigger communities because there's so much surface area for people to get in. Whereas like if you only have a collection of a hundred things, then like the most distributed you could have is hundred collectors. So it's trying to find like the balance of what projects do you think have that upside while still a shot to create a community around it? Um, so I've been focused more on like minting less and looking more at these collections. And at the end of the day, I kind of just collect it with the thought, um, this Ethereum is basically being burnt. It's not like on my books. And sure. if in the future I get a gain from any of this, it's just additional. And it helps me frame um, uh my thesis around like holding this and not worrying about the value of it day to day which is uh, i mean that's it's a good thesis 
right? Yeah, I a, a lot of this I look at like, okay, worst case scenario, I burnt money and I have like one of the best digital galleries of anybody in the space because I can pull from thousands of NFTs and build really dope galleries or shit I think is dope. And other people might think it's stupid, but like I've come to realize like if I think something's cool and I share it, like generally a bunch of other people think it's cool too. Um, so that's kind of like my worst case scenario with these bets. It's just like, okay, like if this all goes to shit, I'm still gonna have like one of the coolest virtual galleries that I enjoy a lot. So yeah, that's kind of, uh, I guess it's not a, good. not a great show, but just kind of where my investment journey has taken me. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you want to, do you want to tell people to head to, to fractional, tell people any specific spaces to tune into before we get out of here? Yeah, I should have probably showed fractional more. Um, I'm always yours, bad about talking my book. Uh, yeah, I work for Fractional Art, which is a platform that lets people fractionalize NFTs. Um, basically, you can take any NFT and break it into as many parts as you want and then let other people collect that NFT. And you get upside because there is a buyout mechanism, which can basically anybody can come lay down a bid and start the buyout as long as 50% of the people who own tokens have an active buyout price set. And um, if the bid is placed and the auction ends, then everyone who owns the underlying fractions can turn in their fractions for Ethereum um, and kind of collect the upside together. So that's kind of the skinny on fractional, but you can find me on Twitter at DeezFi, or maybe we'll just put it in the show notes, but it's D-E-E-Z-E-F-I. Uh, I host a Twitter space every day. Like I probably host between two and six hours of Twitter spaces every day. Um, so Committed. if you follow, follow me, you'll see them. Um, feel free to hop in the space, raise your hand. If there's room on stage, I'll let you up and uh, we can bullshit and talk. But yeah, that's kind of the skinny on me. I spend all my time on Twitter. I'm an addict to the social media. Me too. Uh, I, I, I got my, you know, you get your screen reports on Sunday and like from the, from the time I minted my first NFT to now, like my screen reports have gotten, uh, they've gotten absurd. It's, it's unbelievable how much time I spend in discord and on Twitter. I, yeah, I get that thing. That's like, you spent 11.5 hours a day last week. You're down 10. You're down. (laughs) Yeah. There was a week I was like really fucked up with COVID and I got the screen report. that was like six hours. You're down like 40%. Like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah, and a lot of it too is like I have a space open half the day, so that's half the time. But then the other half the time, it's like DMs. I'm sure your DMs are wild, but it's like not even always just like the public Twitter side of things, but it's just DMs having all these other conversations that take up so much time. But what else would I be doing anyway? Like it's the most plus EV thing for me to do to network and build in this space. So. I mean, most, honestly, most of my, most of my DMs are like Alan Robinson or Antonio Brown, half point PPR. <laughs> like I, I would say, I would say, I would say that is 90% of them. And I used to be really good about responding to them, but a little bit, a little bit less. So these days here, I how mean, about this? How about this? You tip me $1 in Bitcoin. I'll answer your start sit questions. Everyone that I think that is, I think that is a very amenable uh, thing for me to offer everyone. Please. Follow my friend at DeezFi on Twitter. Uh, you guys should be following Andy. You guys should be investing in CryptoPunks and Bored Apes on Fractional Art. And we'll be back next week.